this uh, CEO, so to speak, of the evil one, often nicknamed Satan Superman, he is coming. And he's coming and he will bedazzle the world. He is coming with great power, with great authority. And he will commit an act that is beyond wicked. And that's the act we're studying. And it will change literally the complexion of the world. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled in his series, God's Prophetic Schedule. In the past, many different government and secular leaders used to refer to the New World Order. However, today it is more commonly referred to as the Great Reset. Dr. Brogy will be preaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 13, as we look at the authority given to the Antichrist during this time. Today's sermon is entitled, The Great Reset. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. Take your Bibles with you this morning. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. It's easy to find. It's the very last book in the New Testament. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're between a verse-by-verse exposition of a book of the Bible I am doing a series called God's Prophetic Schedule. This is actually the 14th message in that series, and we've been looking at some of the critical events. We began with the rapture of the church and the rebirth of Israel, and after the rapture and after the rebirth, and Israel's rebirth is significant because much of the prophetic schedule yet to be fulfilled has to take place in a land called Israel. God could have certainly in the 4th century or 5th century or 6th century have gathered the Jewish people that have been scattered across the world, just as Moses spoke of, he predicted it. Jesus said it on the Olivet Discourse. He could have regathered them back to the land of Israel and then carried out his purposes, but he didn't. God waited nearly two millennia before he brought the Jewish people from the four corners of the earth. Even Orthodox Jews in Israel today, recognize that Messiah's coming is close. Why? Because they know their own Tanakh. They know their Old Testament, that the Old Testament affirms at the end of time, before Messiah comes to the earth, he would gather them in the land and remake them as a nation. And we have seen that in our lifetime. In fact, most Orthodox Jews, sadly, are more alert to the prophetic schedule than many born-again Christians. In fact, prophecy is now rarely taught in the Scriptures. Uh, in churches from the scriptures. And that is a sad commentary on our day because prophecy is given not to scare you, but to prepare you, to change you, to shape you, to make you more passionate in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we began with the rapture and after the rapture begins a seven plus year period known as the great tribulation. And Jesus unfolds the great tribulation period beginning in Matthew chapter 24. And in 24.8, he speaks of the beginning of birth pangs. And we saw that the beginning of the birth pangs that he described in verses 4 through 7 perfectly parallel the sealed judgments of Revelation 6. What we're seeing today are not the birth pangs. But to have birth pangs, you have to have a pregnancy. And God is setting the world on alert that there's a real pregnancy. And one of these days, the water is going to break and the birth pangs are going to come. Right now, we're just seeing the, um, 
uh, the Braxton Hicks kind of contractions. Now, here's a chart just to help you to see an overview. When the rapture happens and he takes the people of God to heaven, the Bema seat takes place. That's the judgment of the just. Saved people give an account and are rewarded accordingly. Heaven is a free gift, but your service done through the Spirit of God is rewarded in heaven. And then we'll sit down for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We saw that just like the first coming of Christ unfolded in a series of events, even so the second coming of Christ unfolds in a series of events. First, we meet him in the air. One of these days, I stood over a coffin just a few days ago, and I said to that dear family, not only will he be raised in the air, he'll be caught up in the air, but in a moment's time, he's going to get a facelift. He's going to get a brand new body. God is going to change him and prepare him to be able to walk on streets of gold. That event is yet in the future. It's called the catching up from the Latin we get the word rapture. Not to be confused with the return of Christ, often called the second coming, where he comes to the earth. First we meet him in the air, then we come back with him and he literally stands on the earth. And as you can see, right in the middle of this seven year period, it's called the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. In other words, the great tribulation period is spoken of in the first half of the Bible. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And Daniel, in one of the great mathematical prophecies in scripture, he pinpointed the coming of Messiah to present himself to Israel to Palm Sunday. And we studied that some weeks back. That would be good if you haven't studied that. In fact, it would be very helpful for you to study the book of Daniel. And if you're live streaming with us somewhere, if you remember before I taught Revelation and there's 72 hours of teaching on the book of Revelation, I taught Daniel. Why? Because Daniel is the schematic that will help you to understand the Revelation. And so there's an app called Search the Scriptures, searchthescriptures.org. You can download it and listen to those messages. But Daniel tells us right in the middle of this seven-year period is what we have labeled here as the abomination of desolation. Now, remember, his audience are four apostles, Peter, James, John, and uh, they're there, and Andrew. And they ask him some questions, and Jesus gives the single longest answer to any question that they ever asked him, at least what's recorded in Scripture. Now, they studied the prophet Daniel. They knew what the abomination of desolation is. Sadly, today, some people think, well, that's my husband or that's my wife. They don't know what it is. And yet it is a game changer in that we go from tribulation in the first three and a half years to great tribulation. Let me refresh your minds from that Olivet Discourse in verse 15 of chapter 24. Jesus said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak, but woe to those who are pregnant. And to those who are nursing babes in those days, pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then, for then when? When the abomination of desolation takes place. For then, this is why I call it a game changer. For then, Jesus said, there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Now, this abomination of desolation we have focused in on in the last few weeks. 
First, we went back and we looked at what the prophet Daniel said about it. Then we saw the apostle Paul last time from 2 Thessalonians 2, how it is specifically unfolded. I told you I was going to do three messages, actually including today I'm going to do three more messages on it because it is so important in understanding the prophetic schedule that God has for us. This uh, CEO, so to speak, of the evil one, often nicknamed Satan Superman, he is coming and he's coming and he will bedazzle the world. He is coming with great power, with great authority, and he will commit an act that is beyond wicked. And that's the act we're studying, and it will change, literally, the complexion of the world. Now, I hope you have found it, Revelation 13. We're just going to focus on a few verses today, but I want to read the whole chapter so we understand the flow of thought. Revelation 13, beginning now in verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. On his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance in the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich, and the poor, and the free men, and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Now, what government and secular leaders used to call the New World Order, they now typically refer to as the Great Reset. And before we look at this great coming global reset, I think it might be helpful just to define a few terms. 
In the truest sense, the Great Reset is nothing new. It is as old as the book of Genesis. It goes all the way back, and Moses, of course, writes of events that take place centuries before he is born. It goes all the way back, some would say, to the Great Flood, when God did a reset on humanity, and he allowed Noah and his family to start in a brand new world. But that was really a heavenly reset. And in many ways, it mimics the greatest and final reset when the Lord Jesus will come and he will rule and reign in a brand new refurbished world before we enter into eternity future. But the first initiated great reset that man brought about happened at the Tower of Babel. Man wanted to build a building to carry him up to heaven to worship a false god. And of course, he diminished all the various uh, boundaries that God had set. And so God brought Babel. It's a Hebrew word for confusion. And he confused the people so that they couldn't understand one another. And so the Great Reset is nothing new. It's something very, very old. But what we today call the Great Reset has largely been uh, initiated by the World Economic Forum, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the United Nations, and a number of countries, including our own. And the truth is, is that during world history, many have sought what they seek, and that is a one-world global government. We discussed a few weeks ago that 1,500 years before Christ, the great pharaohs sought to rule the world. 600 years before Christ, Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, wanted to be a world leader, but his empire was certainly limited, though great. 300 years before Christ, Alexander the Great sought the same kind of leadership. He ruled all of Western Asia, North Africa, and Southeast Europe. During the time of Christ, the Roman Caesars wanted to rule the world. In modern times, Napoleon had that as his aspiration until he was killed and his dreams were shattered at Waterloo. In the last century, Stalin, Lenin, Hitler, all with world aspirations, to rule the world. There has never been in recorded history ever a man who has ruled the entire world. But there is coming a day that the Bible speaks of and God speaks with great authority. The only book God ever inspired are these 66 books that we call the Holy Bible. And this is one of the great prophetic chapters in the book of Revelation because it covers and discloses some issues that are covered nowhere else in Scripture. And it's very detailed. You know, unlike these so-called prophets of our day who give these wacko prophecies of things that are going to happen that are so vague, and most of the time they never happen, which would make them false prophets, But their prophecies are so vague, they could apply to a multiplicity of issues. Not the things that are delineated here in this section of Scripture. So the Great Reset, the the, the term is actually coined, it's said by Klaus Schwab, who wrote the book called The Great Reset that I've read. It's interesting, and we'll talk a little bit about him today. But there are three truths that are brought out in this portion of Scripture, that what man is trying to do today, which is really a precursor of things to come, 
Three truths that help us to understand how this one world leader will indeed rule the world. There's a note-taking outline. If you're new, if you're online, you can download it. First, I want us to see the authority that's given to the Antichrist. We want to begin with the authority given to the Antichrist. That's how this great reset will begin. Uh, The chapter opens, Revelation 13, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Now, remember the chapter and verse divisions are artificial. They're added almost a millennium after the Bible is completed. Chapter 12 helps us to understand who the dragon is. And we learn in that chapter that his time is very short, very limited. Uh, He's enraged with the woman, and the woman in the 12th chapter is identified as Israel. In fact, if you look at verse 17 of chapter 12, it says, So the dragon, who, by the way, is identified in verse 9 of the 17th chapter, most of the symbols in the Revelation are either identified within the Revelation itself or somewhere in the Old Testament. And in verse 9, we're told that the dragon is the devil. He's called the devil, and he's called Satan. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, with Israel, and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The woman, of course, prophetically is Israel. She gave birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And of course, those Jews who were converted up till this point, who listened to the admonition that Jesus gave, they went into the wilderness, just as Jesus said, and God protects them for 42 months. The rest of her children, being those Jews who didn't pay attention to that, or Gentiles who are converted, well, Satan attempts to destroy them. And notice how they're described in verse 17. The rest of her children, these are believers, are those who keep the commandments of God. And by the way, if you're saved, you don't walk in the way of the ungodly. Your life has been changed. And if your religion hasn't changed your life, you better change your religion. Because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. You have a new direction, a new proclivity to aspire to the things of God. They keep the commandments of God and they hold, the text says, to the testimony of Jesus. They will not renounce Jesus, even at the cost of their own heads. Now, Satan hates the Jewish people. He is the greatest anti-Semite who has ever lived. He has always hated the Jewish people because, number one, he he brought the world the Savior. And number two, it's the Savior who is ultimately going to destroy him. And so during the Great Tribulation period, Satan, as we studied last time, tries to create an unholy trinity, a satanic trinity, where Satan takes the place of God the Father, the Antichrist takes the place of God the Son, and the false prophet who points men to the Antichrist takes the place of God the Holy Spirit. And because he only has a short time, 42 months, three and a half years left, 1260 days, He's enraged, and he wants to do everything he can. And so the dragon, verse 1, stood on the sand of the seashore. So here is Satan, called the dragon, standing on the sand of the seashore, assessing, as it were, his next strategy. And the implication is is that he summons the beast out of the sea. Now, depending on your translation, verse 13 starts in three different ways in the English Bible. If you had the New American Standard 1977, and some of you still use that, it simply reads, and he stood on the sand of the seashore. And that's actually what the Greek text says. 
It's a pronoun he. And so they just literally translate it. If you have the 1995 or 2020 edition of the NASB, they interpret the pronoun. They say, and the dragon stood, because the he goes back to the prior verse and verse 17 to the dragon. And they don't want there to be any mistake in light of the way the chapter division was made. The ESV departs from the traditional chapter break. And so they make verse 17 of chapter 12 a little bit longer. And they add at the end of verse 17, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore because he had just been identified as Satan. But the point is clear. Verse 1, the apostle John is watching as he's given this revelation, and he said, I saw a beast. And the word beast is a word that's used of a ravenous, bloody, wild, brutal, hateful, wild animal. So it's an appropriate term to describe the coming Antichrist. Because while he initially comes as an angel of light and seemingly a great guy, he is a turncoat, and he will turn on the nations of the world who do not follow him. So here in chapter 13, we find Satan, the serpent of old, the dragon. He's standing on the sand of the sea, and he sees this beast coming up out of the sea. Now, here's a slide of Revelation 1.1 that might be useful to you. This is how the King James, New King James, and the Holman Christian Standard Bible renders Revelation 1.1, the opening verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified or signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So you'll see there's one word different, signified. And if you have the New American Standard, it will draw you out to the margin and tell you that that's the literal rendering. Uh, The New American Standard says he communicated. But signified, S-I-G-N, signified is helpful because what he is saying is, is that this great revelation that we're reading this morning was given in symbols. And that's what makes the book of Revelation so challenging. Some see it as a mysterious book. They don't even try to read it. And and one of the reasons sometimes people have trouble with Revelation is they stop reading. Many of the signs in the Revelation are unfolded in the next verse or the next paragraph or within the chapter itself. And if someone just kept reading, oh, seven lampstands, what's that all about? Well, he tells us a few verses later, seven churches. Oh, this great red dragon, who's that? He tells us, Satan. But one of the challenges is that there's 404 verses in the book of Revelation and 300 of those verses are allusions to the Old Testament. And never once does it say, well, Isaiah said, or Moses wrote, or Ezekiel told us, or Zephaniah said. It just quotes the Old Testament, so to speak, or it alludes to it. And so because we live in a day of great biblical illiteracy, especially in reference to the Old Testament, it's just a dumbfounding book for a lot of people. But God gave it to us in that way and for a reason. Why? Because it forces you to study the signs that are found here, to dig, to go back into the Old Testament, to read that text of Scripture in its context. And there's very often a lesson in itself right there. And as you dig and mine for it, which many Christians today don't want to do, they're just lazy. They spend more time this week in their social pages on the Internet than they do in Holy Scripture. 
But as you dig, it just impacts your life and the truth is impregnated into your soul and it begins to change the way you think and your lifestyle. And so we could walk all the way through this section of scripture, but we'd never finish it. But let me give you kind of an example of how the Bible interprets itself. The best interpreter of scripture is scripture itself. So what does he mean by the sea? You might want to circle the words out of the sea, draw a little arrow out into the margin, and write down three passages of Scripture. The first would be Daniel 7, 2 and 3. Daniel 7, 2 and 3. It's on the chart there. Let me read it to you. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts were coming from the sea, different from one another. So very often in the Bible, the word sea can be used literally of an actual sea, or it can be used figuratively of a great mass of humanity, typically the Gentile nations. And so the word sea and the word water is often used of the multiplicity of peoples on the earth. And many of the idioms that we use in English, if you think about it, they come right out of the Bible. We'll say, will you look at that sea of people? Where do we get that in English? It comes back from our Judeo-Christian roots, as many of our slogans do. Another passage, Isaiah 57, 20. There the prophet says, but the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet, and the waters toss up refuse and mud. He's talking about the wicked Gentile pagan nations. Specifically, he likens them to the sea. Or later, within the Revelation itself, Revelation 17 and verse 15, John will use it in this way. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations, goyim, ethnoi, and tongues. So in these sections, again, it's referring to the lost Gentile nations of the world. And so Daniel 7 demonstrates that from these Gentile nations is going to come this one world leader that he is going to highlight in a number of different ways through different visions. Jesus called this, by the way, the times of the Gentiles. And so Daniel gives us a prophetic schedule of the Gentile nations starting with Nebuchadnezzar until the Messiah comes again. And so John writes, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. So we need to ask a question. If the Antichrist is coming out of the Gentile nations of the world, as these three scriptural references refer to this sea, so to speak, do we have any idea as to what section of the world the Antichrist will come? And of course, the answer is yes. If you will notice the word the, it's not just a sea, but the sea, it's articular. So he's not referring to any old sea, but to a specific sea. And there are four seas that are usually mentioned in the Bible, the Galilean Sea, the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, and the Great Sea. And the Great Sea, of course, is not the Pacific or the Atlantic. The Great Sea in biblical times is what today we call the Mediterranean Sea. So if you put verse 2 together with Daniel's vision in the seventh chapter of Daniel, John is using the identical imagery because he's speaking about the same region of the world. Here is a modern day map of the former Roman Empire. It basically surrounded the Mediterranean Sea. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 014. 
One of the most difficult questions posed by both Christians and skeptics of Christianity is the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Dr. Brogy answers that question biblically and clearly by explaining the justice of God, the lostness of mankind, and the incredible power of the gospel in his book, Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? You can receive your own copy with a donation of any amount to Search the Scriptures. Please call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 to receive your copy today. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.